morning, we have been doing our uh, series. We're talking about how we can have a renewed, fresh faith uh, for 2024. And what you have noticed if you've been here in the prior lessons is that so much of it has been God talking about the heart that the people had toward God. And it was observed in the way that they worshiped, that they didn't really seem to care about God at all. They thought worship was a weariness. They gave God the leftovers and what they didn't want in the first place. And so, so much of the first two chapters of Malachi has been describing to the people, here's why you're out of favor. Here's why life is not right. And here's how you can correct that faith and having a heart and a zeal for me. You know, as we come into this section here, we're going to be looking in Malachi 2 and we're going to be in verses 10 through 16. There's a, a, an important shift that happens now where rather than God just simply talking about the heart that the people had toward God, he's going to move now horizontally and talk about the heart that the people had toward one another. Notice it in, in verse 10 of, of Malachi chapter 2 when he asks, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? I just want you to get a beginning point here as he makes this shift and says, now, I want you to think about how you are treating one another. I want you to think about the relationships that you have with one another as the people of God. And uh, I, I, something that we have to keep in mind, something that we have to underscore over and over and over again, is that God cares about how we deal with each other. Uh, sometimes we want to only deal with God in terms of, well, it's just me and God. And, and as long as it's just me and God and how I'm working with God, that's all that counts. And God is always reminding us, no, I'm also looking at your relationships. I'm looking at how you are operating and functioning one with another because it matters to God. And here's a great example of it where all the things that these people are doing wrong. Now God shifts away from their worship and he says, I want you to think about how you are working with one another. And notice the basis that he uses. It's a very simple, straightforward easy to remember picture. Do we not all have one father? <laughs> yep, we do. <laughs> we are all children of God and we all have one father. And so it's almost as if God could say right out of the gate, that's all I should have to say. You have the same father. You have the same father, God. So do you think the father cares about how his children are dealing with each other? Oh, absolutely. Any parent would know you kind of care how your kids are functioning with, with, with one another. That matters. And here's God saying, you're my children. I'm your father. You have one father. You're joined together. And if that were not enough, notice the next rhetorical question after that. Don't you have one creator? <laughs> You have one father and you have one maker and we're all under him. And so it's just a very simple picture. But think about how many times Jesus tried to underscore that. I'm going to throw up just a couple examples just from the Sermon on the Mount where you might remember Jesus says simple things like, you know, if you're angry with your brother or your sister, you're subject to judgment. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm just angry. Yeah. 
And then he goes a little further and goes, you know, and if you, you slander one another, you're subject to fiery hell. That's in Matthew 5.22 also. And I think God cares about what we say to each other and about each other. You think God cares about how we treat each other and what we think of each other. You might remember it was so significant to Jesus that he even said, if you were aware that someone had something against you while you were on your way to the temple to present your offering at the altar, that you would leave your gift right there, go and be reconciled. And then once you've solved that, then you come back and you get that gift and you pick it back up and you take it to the altar and worship. God is trying to repeatedly show us that relationships matter and that we will be judged based on those relationships. That you can have all the faith in the world toward God, but then also he's going to be counting how we are functioning and treating one another. You know, that's, you know, the two things God said, if you can't remember anything else, remember the two greatest commands, right? <laughs> love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's like the whole law, he says, hangs on these two fundamental laws. And so, so often we can forget this. Listen to the apostle Paul worded it when he just said, you know, love needs to be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. I mean, it, I would lose sight of what the point of the text is if I just did this whole lesson. We'd only cover one verse. But we could go all over the New Testament looking at how frequently God says how you're supposed to treat one another, the kind of attitude we're supposed to have to one another, how we're supposed to elevate one another, show honor to one another, care for one another, be connected with one another. These things are all mattering to God. And that's why you have this question that God asks and he just simply says, so, so, so how can you be faithless to me by being faithless to one another? How could you do that? You are in covenant together. He says you're profaning the covenant when you act this way. You have one father. You have one creator. And you are joined together in that. Now here's what's really interesting. That's not at all where God's going in Malachi 2. <laughs> this is the big setup of this really big overarching idea. And what I want you to notice is he's going to get really, really narrow with the application that he wants to make of what's going on. You look at verse 11. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. Now, if you put the period right there, you'd say, okay, what do you think the people are doing that they are defiling the sanctuary, the temple of God that God loves? And notice then the rest of verse 11. And has married the daughter of a foreign god. He's going back into this relationship picture again. And he's saying, here's what's happening. He says, you all have come back from your captivity when they were in Babylonian exile. And you've picked up where you left off in marrying the people of the land. Now, here we are in the New Covenant. We read the New Testament. We kind of wonder, why was that such a big deal to God? Why couldn't the people of Israel marry the people who were in the land? What was the real, the real big concern? And it's an important reminder about what God was talking about when he gave this command. In Deuteronomy 7, he gives the explanation. He says, do not intermarry with them, giving daughters to your sons or taking daughters for your sons. Or they will turn your sons from following me and serve other gods. 
The reason he brings this up is what has happened is the very thing. This the whole sum of what we've been talking about for two chapters. The people don't have a heart for God. And he's saying, you know, one of the reasons why is because your heart's been stolen from me. You don't care about spiritual things. You don't care about godly things anymore. You're caring about worldly things. You're engaged in idolatry. It's unbelievable that this would go on. If you remember when Ezra and Nehemiah come on the scene in the books of, uh, of Ezra and Nehemiah, they, they, they're just losing their minds that they would come back from their, their punishment of exile, come back to the land and commit the very same sins that they were doing in the first place. Ezra and Nehemiah like, guys... Are we going to have a heart for God or not? Are we going to change or not? Are we going to do the exact same thing or not? You are being faithless toward God. And notice how he moves that picture forward. Verse 12, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of a man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And then notice this in verse 13. He says, and this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. This is the second thing he says that's going on. And it's a curious thought. So what the people are doing is they're coming to the temple, they're coming to the altar, and apparently they are crying to God because God does not accept their worship. Now, it's kind of interesting. A lot of speculation makes you wonder, do they really care about that? Because remember what chapter one said, they're saying when they come to the altar, we're really sick of being here. We really don't want to be here. This is such a weariness. Oh, this is so tiresome. And yet somehow they're crying because God's not receiving their worship. (laughs) Like, yeah, you care, but you really don't care. You know, like, oh God, why aren't you, you know, showing favor on me while I go do whatever I want to do? That's, That's kind of what's going on right here. And so notice they're going to ask the question, verse 14, why does he not? Why does he not receive our worship? Why doesn't he treat us with favor and grace? Why does he not shine his blessings upon us? Remember, we've seen in this book these questions and answers. Here's another one. Why doesn't God receive our worship? Why is God being this way? And I want you to notice the answer. Verse 14, he says, because the Lord was witness to the between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless though she is your companion and your co- wife by covenant I want you to notice that God really gets narrow here he starts really wide and says I care about how you all treat one another you're all brothers and sisters in the Lord the Lord is your father And then notice he gets really narrow right here and says, oh, and here's why I don't receive your worship. He says, because of what you're doing in your marriage. And you go, wait, now, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. Now you've gone to meddling, right? You know, (laughs) God cares about that. God cares about what's going on and even the marriage relationship that matters to him. And here's God going, yeah, it does. He says, here's what's happened. You've become faithless in your marriage. And he says, the Lord was a witness to your marriage covenant. Now, this is a really unique and interesting picture. And you might read that on the surface and go, okay, God was a witness to the marriage covenant. And you certainly see that idea in the scriptures. Remember, Jesus talks about marriage in Matthew 19 and verse 6, where he says something about how 
what God has joined together, we're not supposed to separate. And you're like, oh, I didn't know God joined those things. Yeah, he does. Yeah, there's this picture of God being a part of the marriage vow covenant process. What has been joined together, we're not supposed to break. And so in that sense, there is this picture of God saying, you're supposed to be joined together and committed. And you see that picture in verse 14. Notice the three different images he uses. Calling the wife, the wife of your youth, your companion, some translations say partner, and it's supposed to be an unbreakable bond is what that Hebrew word has in it. And he uses your wife by covenant. Here's God saying, I'm a witness to the fact that you join together and that's your spouse. That's your wife by covenant. That's your partner. That's your companion. And you've been faithless to that. And in fact, I think what's more important to think about of the Lord being a witness to this covenant. I don't know that we have this exactly as much today. But what you had in ancient Near Eastern times is someone was a witness to a covenant so that if the covenant was broken, that witness was then considered the enforcer of the covenant. Typically, a covenant had consequences to it. If we don't do, you know, even today we have that. If you don't do such and such, here's what's going to happen if you don't pay this bill. So here's this picture of God saying, I'm an enforcer of the covenant. I see what you're doing in your marriage. I see what's going on. I see that you're being faithless and God's saying, I'm going to do something about it. I'm an enforcer of the covenant. I see how you have been faithless to the wife of your youth, to your partner, to your companion, to the one who's your wife by covenant. I see what you've done. Now, I'm going to take a quick sidestep and just think for a minute. When I think about in our world today, how faithless marriages are now here's God saying I see what's happening I know what you're doing and you're being faithless to the covenant it made me wonder because I know growing up I heard stats and things like that so I did a little bit of 2023 homework and I thought I would share with you some information of where we are in the world today I think this is an interesting picture Here's our present stats. 25% of married men and 15% of married women have had an affair. One in four men. And approximately one in seven women. I had to check that twice and there was a bunch of sites that confirmed this number. I went, wow, unbelievable. The amount of faithlessness that exists in our culture today. One in four and and one in seven, even though this person is supposed to be the wife of your, your youth. I want you to note that you have this statement that was also very surprising to me. 60% of people today cite infidelity as the reason for divorce. I would have just guessed, you know, irreconcilable differences and we just didn't get along and whatever. It's not the majority citing. The majority citing is 
faithlessness, infidelity. Interesting, followed right behind that, 24% cited domestic abuse. The reason I found this interesting, I looked and I went, 84% of reasons for divorce are because of people doing some really sinful things. Unbelievable. 84%. Doing some horrifyingly sinful things. In fact, to, to note, this is this is pretty much still been the average. You know, we usually say half of marriages. It's not quite half. It's But 40 to 50% of first marriages end in divorce. Approximately 33% of those end in the first 10 years. Which I would say, the first 10 years, you're just getting started. You're just kind of figuring things out at that point. You just... You just barely got the the, the motor on and you're working things out and figuring it out. (laughs) But here's the thing. You think you're going to do better after that one? 67% of second marriages end in divorce. And you think then you really got some good experience? No, it actually keeps getting worse and worse as you keep going. And I want you to hear God saying right here, I see what you're doing. I see what happens in the relationship. I see what happens in the marriage covenant. I see what's happening. And we would like to think, well, you know, the people of God, they don't fall in these numbers. We don't have time, but yeah, they do. Unfortunately, yeah, they do. Unfortunately, there is not a distinction in the numbering at all. Same numbers, same problems, same issues. And I want you to hear the weight of what God is saying about this. Of all the things that he could bring up about the faith of these people and why they are not having their worship received by God. Looking back at verse 14, why is he not receiving our worship? Because back in verse 13, they're covering the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because they no longer regards our offering or accepts it from our hand. What is the thing that's the problem? In verse 14, he says, because you're being faithless. You're faithless to God? Well, yeah, but how? Because of what you're doing in your marriage. Not unbelievable? God cares. In fact, he cares so much when you jump down to verse 16, he says, you understand that I absolutely hate divorce. And the one who covers himself with violence. Which is a fascinating picture because it really describes the essence of what divorce is about. Here God pictures divorce as hatred and violence. And we probably don't really appreciate that. How devastating the effects are. And why God would hate that. And why God expects his people to be in a permanent covenant relationship because this is what matters to God. Now, I want to frame this from the lesser to the greater to kind of communicate this idea, and then we'll, we'll push forward a little bit. But to, just to get a sense that how much God cares about what's going on in our relationships, not only as a group, but also within marriage. Think about when he said this. He said, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Here's what I want to underline. Notice he says that your prayers are hindered and prevented and blocked just by not living in an understanding way. Okay, God's not listening to you. If you're not behaving right in your marriage, he says, I'm not listening. 
You better be living in an understanding way. You better figure it out and be one and work that out. Otherwise, I'm not listening. And so here's my point. If God says that much, that I'm not listening to you, when you won't deal with each other in an understanding, caring, righteous Christian way, then what do you think God thinks when we're faithless in our marriage? If he's tearing us up about just not being understanding, then what does he think about the faithlessness that happens? What does he think about the violence that we do in our relationships toward one another when we don't stay faithful? But we don't see them as a marriage covenant. We see our marriage as something that can be disposed of at any time rather than the permanence of what it should be. Again, don't have time, but I mean, we could go through all the kinds of damage that goes on because of marriages. What's, what's so sad is the place of where the greatest care and the greatest understanding the greatest trust and the greatest openness should exist is in the marriage. And it can be sometimes the absolute opposite where it's the place of the ugliest behaviors, the nastiest words, the greatest acts of mistrust and the greatest acts of unfaithfulness. It's supposed to be the one safe place. And that's why God says, what are you doing? You want to know why I don't receive your worship? Why you cry on your altar with tears and I'm not regarding it with any favor? Look inside your house, is what he says. Think about what's going on in there. Because that matters to God. All right. Two solutions that he provides here in the text. What can we do then? Start in verse 15. Verse 15 is a very complicated Hebrew. Don't have time to break down Hebrew. I don't know Hebrew well enough. Neither do you. We'll leave that to the scholars. If you pick up a bunch of different translations, they're all going to read a little bit different because this is a, you know, when you just have words without verbs, you got to kind of figure it out. So that's why there's some differences. But the big idea is pretty much across the board to all of the translations in verse 15. Did he not make them one? Okay. There is a unity that is being pictured here. Did they not make him one with a portion of the spirit in their union is how the ESV reads. First big point, first big picture I want to communicate to us is God has always been looking for unity. He's always been looking for unity in terms of the whole of the people of God. And he expects there to be unity in the marriage relationship. This statement crosses the whole of the paragraph. We can run all over the scriptures and note the frequency by which God calls for his people to be one, to be unified together. Jesus, one of his final prayers in recorded in the gospel of John is a prayer that his people would be one. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, as he starts talking about how to walk worthy of the calling 
to which you've been called. One of the first things he says is, I want you to maintain unity with the spirit and the bond of peace. Like of all the things you'd say to start off of walking worthy, he says, you all need to be unified. In fact, that's the section that if you know Ephesians 4, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father all. Why is he doing all these ones? Because we're supposed to be one. God expects his people to be unified, working together, functioning as a singular unit. And in the same way, he expects that when it comes to the marriage. It is not just a throwaway line, but a critical line. When God speaks of the marriage covenant, he says, the two become one. You're now one. You're joined. You're inseparable. You're functioning together. And that's how we're supposed to look at it. It's what God expects of us. So first simple application. What are we going to do to ensure unity? Unity as the family of God. And unity in the home and the marriage. Because that's what God expects. We are not to be described as in our marriage, just two individuals, just kind of doing our own thing, you know, under the same house, but two completely separate lives. We are supposed to work for a unity. We're supposed to be together on everything. We're functioning together as one. That's what God expects. And that's what he's saying there. Didn't God make them one? We can go all the way back to Genesis 2. Yes, he did. He made them one. And he's making us as a body to be one as well and expects that of us too. So how can we function? How can we work in a way to show that we are one together? What will we do differently as we come into this new year to work for unity? Let's start first as just this group. Uh, Lord willing, next year, what our theme is, and I put this in the bulletin this week, our theme is going to be we, not me. We're going to talk about how we could have more of this we thought process. Because it's so easy to be in the individual mentality. <clears throat> we, not me. And then I want us to think about going into 2024. Not what you think the other person in your marriage should do for better unity. What can you do? Now, we are professionals at what we think our spouse should do in marriage. Right? Oh man, if they did, if they did da 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 da, we'd have a great marriage. <laughs> that's why you don't, because that's the way you're thinking. <laughs> what are you going to do to develop and to culture and harness a unity, a one flesh marriage that God expects? That's number one. Number two, look at verse 16. After he says that he hates divorce and covers the person with the violence, very end verse 16. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. We need to guard ourselves. 
the threat of infidelity and unfaithfulness is very, 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 very real. One in four and one in seven. It is a very real problem and it is a very real threat. And friends, what that means is we need to guard ourselves. Guard ourselves from the threat of unfaithfulness, from sexual immorality. Guard ourselves from affairs. Guard ourselves from divorce. Friends, I want us to think about it like this. Every marriage is going to struggle. Here's why. I got it really, really complicated. Here's why every marriage is going to struggle. Because you are taking two sinful people and joining them together as one. How do you think that's going to go? <laughs> oh, it's going to be flawless. It's going to be Cinderella, right? They're going to live happily. No, they're not. There's going to be two sinful people trying to work this out together. So guard your heart and guard your marriage and understand there's going to be difficulties because the person you chose is not perfect. I know. Now you're telling me that, you know, they were perfect when you were dating. I know they changed. They were amazing. I know they never did anything wrong when you were dating. It was just, you know, bliss and clouds and unicorns and rainbows. I know they just became so different. I know. I know. But guess what? So did you. I know you, you, you were so perfect in the beginning too. Two sinful people are coming together. There's going to be some bumps. There's going to be some issues. There's going to be some collisions. There's going to be some selfishness. There's going to be some problems. Guard your heart and don't be faithless. You've made a covenant. And that's a covenant that God says is to be permanent and is not supposed to be dissolved. You can put those things back together. I've always said this. This is, this is my free marital advice for you. <clears throat> you got issues? Do what you were doing before you were married. No, seriously. Because whatever you were doing made you guys want to be together. And this isn't like a trick, like we do all these things and oh, now we're married, so I'm never doing that again. <laughs> no, <laughs> there was the belief that that would continue on. So you know how to do this because you were doing it to such a good degree to, before that you said, I don't want anybody else. I want you. Great. Go back to doing that. And if you'll do that, you'll guard your heart from being faithless. And you'll guard yourself from divorce. And you'll guard yourself from infidelity. And there won't be anybody who can steal your heart because you've given yourself to this person. Guard your heart. And friends, in those difficulties, here's another important guard. Don't look outside the marriage covenant. Look into it. Stop looking out there. That's what they were doing. They're going, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get rid of our Israelite women. And we're going to go marry foreign women. It's going to be so much better. Can I pull the other chart up? Second marriage, higher divorce rate. Third marriage, even higher divorce rate. It's not going to be better. Why not? Because it's still two sinful people coming together, making a mess of everything. So look inside. It's not better out there. It's better in that covenant. Don't be faithless. Put that effort in and protect that covenant. So ending with this. Going into 2024. 
What can you do differently to protect your marriage? What can you do differently to make it flourish? So that not only you're protecting that relationship with your your spouse, but so that you can protect it with God. God is watching what we're supposed to be doing. The Apostle Paul said, our marriages are supposed to be a reflection of Christ and the church, Ephesians 5. So how's it looking? How's it doing? I think all of us would raise our hand and go, I got a lot of work for next year to do. Yeah, we do. So don't give up. Don't be faithless. God made you one. He's a witness to the covenant. What can you do this next year to build your faith in God by building that relationship? All right, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we live in in a society, we live in a culture that tells us that faithlessness and infidelity is acceptable and good. And Lord, I pray that you would strike that thinking from our mind. That we would be a people who would do everything that we can to maintain the covenant of marriage that we've made. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for any unfaithfulness that we have ever displayed. And you would give us a renewed fervor to have the marriages that you want us to have. Lord, you've told us that you don't even listen to our prayers. When we are unkind, when we're uncaring, when we are thoughtless and do not live with each other in an understanding way. So Lord, forgive us for that. And help us to give ourselves to this relationship as you want us to. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a greater unity as your people of God. Help us to see that you are our father, that we have all been made in your image, and we are all joined together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Lord, forgive us for any kind of divisiveness. Forgive us for any kind of grumbling or anger. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to think far more about the we rather than ourselves. Help us to love one another, serve one another, give to one another, help one another, and do all that we can as this family that you've created for us. And finally, Lord, I pray that you would guard our hearts and guard our eyes and guard our spirits. Remind us that it's not better outside of our marriage covenants and help us to put all the effort you want us to put into these relationships so that we can be the people that you want us to be and we can shine as a light in that way. 
to show the world around what a glorious thing that you have created for us. Lord, thank you so much for your forgiveness and for your help. We pray this through your Son and our Savior, Jesus. And amen. Oh, every every paragraph I read in Malachi, I go, Malachi's rough on us. He's, he comes in strong and says, hey, you want to have a right faith with God? Here's the changes that need to be made. But they're practical. They're, they're real. And I hope that as you think about where you are with God today, are you wanting to make changes with, with God? Is it time to get right with God? Have you gone astray from how you should be living Today is the day to make those changes. Today is the day to get right with God. Today is the day is to forgive, get your sins forgiven. Uh, and we're here to help you in that. We, we want to be a part of that. That's, that's what we're here for, is to belong as this family, to encourage one another for a deeper faith and to become better servants of, of his. So we'd love to help you to do that. You can talk to us afterward about that. Talk to me afterward. Talk to Dan afterward. If you're ready to become a Christian, if you have not put on Christ to be a follower of his, been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, we absolutely want you to make that decision today. Again, let us know or come forward while we stand and while we sing.